Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Who Runs the Rec World? I'm your host, Broganese Collier, and this is the show that delves into the lives of females within the recruitment industry in order to understand what it takes and what journeys you have to go on to become successful. Um, today I'm joined by Melanie Forbes, MD of Appsco Outsource. Um, but um, Mel, I'll let you introduce yourself in a little bit more detail to the listeners. Um, thanks, Bragan. So, yeah, I've been in the recruitment market now for about 30 years, um, which makes me feel incredibly old, um, but more so in the last 20, specialising in the outsourcing sector, all, all things talent acquisition in, in, in the outsourcing market. Um, so, yeah, my where I feel my heart and passion probably sits, uh, that is that part of the sector that I absolutely love. Fantastic. And to get right into it then, so uh, I guess the standard question of how did you get into the recruitment agency? Was it something you fell in or what, what was your journey like? So I literally found myself in between you know, uh, jobs and needed to find work and I stumbled into a branch of manpower in my local high street. Um, I wasn't actually sure what they did. I just knew that they found people jobs, didn't know what sort of jobs, and um, went in to see them. And the lady, Carol Taylor, uh, behind the desk said to me, I, I think you'd be good at doing this, you know, what we're doing. And um, I had an interview that afternoon and they hired me a week later uh, as a recruitment consultant at the ripe old age of 19. So, yeah, I went in, I went into the market very early. Fantastic. And what um, what enticed you to kind of take, you know, take them up on the offer of the interview and, and take them up on on the job offer, having uh, assuming you, you said you didn't know what sort of manpower did exactly. But uh, assuming you didn't have a good kind of idea of what actually recruitment was when you, you know, before they turned around and said, actually, I think you'd be good at it. What enticed you into into entering into the industry? So I. I always think that if I didn't become, if I hadn't become a recruitment consultant, I probably would have become a state agent because I'm really quite nosy about people and I love getting to know. So whether I'm getting to know them as individuals or actually looking around their houses, I find both things quite interesting. So okay. when Jackie, who was the branch manager of Manpower, described what the role was. I actually was like, oh, I could do that. It's, it's yeah. ultimately, it's talking to people and being interested in them and finding out what they're looking for. And then yeah. this amazing match of, of the job and, and the person. And so that was really what got me into it. And then what probably stayed, because they do say if you get into recruitment and you love it, people tend to stay in yeah. it. Um, and for me, I, I think it was the opportunity. I could see, you know, there was there was this traditional progression within a company like Manpower. The, the training was phenomenal. I'll be forever indebted to them for the training that they they gave me. And that much kind of development in you made me feel that I belonged. And we used to always joke that, you know, the Manpower folk, if you cut us open, we'd bleed blue blood. You know, it was because we were so ingrained in what we yeah. did. So yeah. I was very lucky. I, I uh, progressed branch manager, then regional manager, and then I went into the training and uh, department and then business development. So I had a, a varied uh, time, but but a clear route of progression. Fantastic. And that was was that sort of you said you you kind of joined into the industry when you were just 19. So um, I, 
think people that listen to this podcast probably bored of me kind of talking about how it's such a good career for you know particularly graduates to go into but it's something that's not I still don't think is spoken enough about at, you know universities and things along those lines but it is such a um generally most companies have that kind of meritocratic um culture and that progr career progression um and I just think it's such a good um career path for people to join on so early um gives you you know the, the progression that you get and it's not that you have to sort of be there for years to get that sort of progression and um the earning potential as well from such a young age is uh, is fantastic isn't it yeah yeah and a manpower there then certainly were, were not a very what i call the hard sell um yeah. they were a very service orientated organization um so it didn't feel, you know, I, I know that what wouldn't have suited me is if I had to be on the on the phone every single day, you know, 100 calls a day, you yeah. know, sell, sell, sell. That I, I don't think I would have lasted in, in truth. Um, but it was much more, it was still expected. You had to do your sales yeah. calls, but it was much more reasonable and, and I could cope with that. And I was a branch manager within two years. Um, okay. I took on a, um, but I went, I went to my boss, I was hounding her. I'm ready I'm ready I, I want a branch and um, she was just you know you know move me in. I, I had conversations with the regional manager and she was just like you're not ready you've only been here a couple of years I'm, like, I'm so ready just give me any branch it doesn't matter so they gave me probably the worst performing branch in the whole country and it was it was about an hour and a half drive from my home um, so there I was 21 years old dealing with you know we had so many we had um we had uh, temps that were misbehaving we had our own staff that were were not doing what they should be doing so i was young i was a new manager i'd never managed people before and i had a team of i think there was only three or four in the branch at the time so it wasn't horrendous but it was hard big going yeah, yeah, yeah big yeah. journey but it was worth it you know yeah, you've mentioned, you've already mentioned quite a few kind of um, women that were kind of above you, um, it, I guess, in the the, the organisation. Um, so was was Manpower, you know, was there loads of kind of female role models to look up to at the time? Or talk me through. Yeah, the, yeah, it was it was a very female orientated organisation when I think back now, um, because if you, you think that was, you know, 30 years ago, yeah. it was still right it was very unusual you know the md was female um she reported into a ceo in the us he was um he, he was obviously male but but you know the structure around her she she had a about seven people on her leadership team and i would have said that was a very much a 60 40 split in favor of women um but she had obviously both but you know my immediate boss branch manager was female my regional manager was female um and then there was this overall ops director who was also female so yeah i had a i had lots of role models i i actually i never ever thought about there being any barriers to females at yeah. all yeah. until i experienced different companies and yeah. Different companies, not just necessarily ones I worked for, but the ones I supported in my job. Yeah. Yeah, they were my clients. Um, so it was much later on. You know, I, I think I was when I left Manpower, I would have been probably, uh, gosh, probably 28, nearly 29. Um, and I then had uh, two children 
And okay. I had never felt, I, I'd felt the whole struggle around children and career, don't get me yeah. wrong, but I'd never yeah. felt that because I was a woman, it was a barrier for me to progress. Absolutely. That, that probably came, I probably saw that later. Make, makes sense. And so the, the females that were kind of above you at the time then, did they have sort of, you know, families? Were they sort of women with, with children? Um, I know you said you, you'd kind of not seen that, that barrier. Well, and that was probably the interesting thing is when you're young, you don't always see everything in front of you. Yeah. It's only as you get older and you look back. Um, and I now realise that the MD I've worked for had no children. Uh, that was her choice. The business operations director, I think she was called, um, she had no children. My regional manager had no children. Right. And my branch manager had no children. So there was definitely a pattern of yeah. women. Um, and I, I definitely felt very uncomfortable having the conversation when I found out I was pregnant. Right. Um, my, my, my regional manager, actually, the first one didn't have children. The second one did, but they were grown up. And okay. as I always I always believe, the higher you get in the company, the more flexibility you get. But it's yeah. so frustrating because the flexibility you need is when you're further down the company, not, you know, the higher you get. So, yeah. Makes sense. OK. And and so you said, um, you know, the manpower itself was, um, you know, there was if not more in favour of women, but a, a nice split between the genders. And um, what desks did you actually cover and what was that like? Um, I, I covered all desks. Um, okay. Again, that was part of the manpower training you had to. So we were, I, I started off in, on the office desk, as they called it, and then I did industrial and driving, which was an eye opener. Um, but, but I loved it. I, I really loved it because, yeah, there, there was just a technique of getting the drivers to do whatever you want. And that was mainly talking to their wives. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I learned very early on. I used to hold coffee mornings for their wives. They used to come oh. in for coffee mornings. Yeah. Because um, then the wives were so loyal to me and to the man that <laughs> the, the, their husbands wouldn't dare go and work for anyone else because their wives would kill them. What a good idea. <laughs> Do you know what? I've never that before, but actually, now you've said it, it makes, you know, that's great. It sounds fantastic. And, okay. so, so where did your kind of career take you from there? So, so, so then um, Manpower, um, I, I then decided you know 10 years I'd, I'd sort of gone through the ranks and I got to this point where I just thought I wanted to do something different and I wasn't sure whether that would be outside of recruitment and then a friend of mine um, who interestingly I got into manpower way back when she had then subsequently moved on and she was working for this organization in the outsourcing sector Okay. And she said to me, oh, there's a ops director's role uh, at our company and you'd be brilliant for it. Come and meet the MD. So I went and met this MD. I didn't really understand what outsourcing meant. I didn't know what a, an MSP was, um, you know, managed solution, pro, you know, solution program. And, you know, they spoke all of these like acronyms and different things within recruitment I'd never heard of. So, again, I think this, um, as my father calls it, I'm, I'm just dead nosy. I think I'm just very curious. Um, that that just intrigued me. It's something different. So um, I took the role. Um, I was um, I remember having this barter with him, and he he remember it too, 
where I wanted to do the job part-time and he okay. said as in four days a week it wasn't that part-time but four days a week yeah. and he said um, no you, you nobody can do the job you can't do the job part-time and I said well I'm not asking whether you know you don't know whether I can do it yeah. I'm just yeah. I, I just believe I can so just think you'll save the money on my salary because you'll pro rata my salary yeah. And I promise you, if I can't do the job in four days, then I will happily resign. Um, so he said, OK, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let you have a go. And um, I actually ended up working when I got everything set up and I amazing people around me. It was a brilliant company. Um, I ended up going to three days a week because my son at that point, we were still only small. He was only uh, he would have been one something like that, nearly two. So I wanted to I wanted to do less rather than more. But we, we got it, you know, we, as I said, had an amazing team and we grew that business. Um, it, you know, it was highly successful. Um, we got bought by a Japanese company called Recruit and, and the brand became Advantage, Advantage XPO. And when Mark left the company, I was devastated because he was. The first kind of male boss I'd ever had I found him extremely inspirational um, he taught me so much but he when he left um, they promoted me to his job so I became the MD and then I went back up and then I went back up to four days a week and at that time I remember thinking well every cloud has a silver lining you know Mark's gone but you know I've got the job um, and, and I loved it so with that, you mentioned um, the sort of wanting to work the, the four days a week. Was that due to having your son who was young at the time? And yeah. when, when did you bring that, that kind of, when when did that come up, you know, as a topic of the four days a week? Because I, I know a lot of people are always daunted to kind of move if, you know, if they're on maternity and looking for a new job, it's usually I'll stay here whilst I'm on maternity and get the flexibility because I've been there for such a long time. How did you, you know, how did you bring that kind of thing up? Well, was it in the uh, no, so I was, I was already, so the reason I changed roles in manpower was at that time, and I'm talking a very long time ago, and I know it's totally different now, but you couldn't do a branch role part-time. So, okay. I already had a daughter, so my daughter would have been, my son was one, she would have been four. So I already had my daughter with Manp Manpower, so I'd already asked to go down to uh, four days a week with them. Yeah. And then when I went for the interview with Mark, I said to him, I, I only work four days a week. And he said, well, this job, this job you can't do four days a week. And I said, yeah. well, yeah, you can if you really want it. Yeah. And I really want it. Absolutely. And what kind of tips would you give to people then? Because I do think this is something that comes up a lot today. Um, you know, people saying, um, I can get the work done or even, you know, I know some people that have said, you know, I'm happy to work extra hours to, to equate to kind of five days a week, but I need that kind of flexibility for mm. whether, whether it be something else. Um, and a lot of the time, I think it's sad to say, sometimes it's overlooked and it's a case of, oh no, we're, we're quite rigid, we, we need you in five days, it's five days or nothing, um, regardless of whether, you know, the overall goal is achieved throughout the week, which I think you were you were sort of saying you can do it for, within four days a week. What advice would you give to people now wanting to, um, you know, because I, I know women talk a lot about how things should be focused on the outcomes as opposed to the amount of hours or whether we work mm -hmm. five, it's all about mm -hmm. the outcomes. 
you know, what advice would you give to people in a, in a similar situation who want to, you know, are interviewing for a role and want to work, you know, that say four days a week, for example, but if a company turns around and says, well, no, actually it's five days a, a week. Um, so I think, I think there's a couple of things. I think COVID has been the most horrific thing ever. Um, however, if there's one good thing to come of it, it's the fact that we are now working more flexibly as, as, a, as, as a country, as a sector, as a business than ever before. And so I think some of the points before have now been proven, you know, that you, you can work from home comfortably. You know, that means that you can do different hours around your day. It doesn't have to be, as you said, those rigid set hours. And it also means that people have to be judged on their outputs because they're not in the office at the moment, this moment in time to be seen. Um, and a lot of that really comes down to trust. It's, it's very much a trust thing. Um, what was difficult for me was Mark. I'd never worked for Mark. So yes. how could he trust me? He didn't know me, um, which is why I, I volunteered. You know, look, what you've got nothing to lose. Let me do this. And if I can't, you know, we will have this conversation in four weeks from now. And if yeah. if we can't, I'll resign. You know, you yeah. can fire me. I, it will be it will be a grown up conversation. So there was almost that, you know, um, push on try it you know don't deny me let me yeah. let me prove you wrong um but then the other part of it is know your value no i knew that my four days was worth you know probably six of somebody else's you know and i don't mean that in an arrogant way i just mean that i'd always had this ability to get through lots of work in a yeah. you know I, i'm super organized i'm i'm a, meticulous on time management as many people who work with me and work for me will, will testament testament to that so um i I, th I think it was to, to mark it was you know i i know i can do this it was that confidence yeah. of yeah. let me let me show you um and as said and then later on i even went down to three days a week as md and i remember at the time it was unknown for an md yeah. of a recruitment company to work yeah. three days Imagine. a week and i used to get invited to these on these panels and these events and people's like just how do you do it and i was like well i trust and empower my team that's yeah. number one and that doesn't mean dirty what i call dirty delegation where you give everybody the crap jobs that you don't want to do i just mean that they're empowered and and we we were quite a small we, we're in a bigger company but we were a small division of that bigger company there was only 35 of us in total so there was nowhere to hide you know you were yeah. totally exposed so yeah we you, you can make it work you absolutely can Fantastic. So, so where did that take you then? So you became MD um, of the company. And um, what was the sort of balance like there? Because you mentioned Mark being the kind of first, I guess, male leader that you, you had had or uh, reported to. What was the, the sort of gender balance? How did you find things there? Um, so the company originally was called TAC Europe before we were born and we were an engineering IT company. So we were heavily male dominated, actually. Um, but and the CEO, uh, he was he was also male. He um, was very supportive though. And I remember being promoted to the board, and I think there was about seven of us on the board, um, and there was only myself and one other female. Um, okay. Which wasn't again at that time. You were kind of thinking that's still really really good. Yeah. And and Simon actually. 
he was amazing to me. He um, he he never made me feel bad about not going to university, but we had that conversation. Um, and I came from a background which you know, university would have never entered my my parents' head. You know, financially, just yeah. you know, just would not have happened. So I hadn't gone to university. I'd gone you know literally straight to work and Simon just said you know there's there's, there's a, a gap here for you around you know certain levels of, of education around um, business corporate leadership management yeah. Yeah. so he put me on a charter uh, institute of chartered directors just charter, yeah institute of chartered directors um, for me to go and do um, this whole development it was it was it was a huge investment it was like a two-year course okay. with exams and so forth so it was pretty heavy going and I got my chartered directorship and then I got my diploma in in leadership um, and what what you do is sort of a level uh, degree equivalent so that that was the reasoning but Simon totally did that he totally invested in me he wanted yeah. me to do well um, so and that was probably the the kind of next piece of formal learning and development I did following my training in Manpower okay. really so it was it was invaluable so he was he was fantastic and again a, a male in a in a position where he totally valued what women could do for his yeah. business and and um, I like to think that we, we went from oh, originally I think we turned over about 30 million pounds originally uh, and when I left, we were turning over about 120 million. Wow. So I like to think that I did pay him back for yeah. <laughs> for helping me. Um, yeah. But yeah, when the when the time came, um, I actually, you know, they always say people leave bosses, not not the job. So I left because of a, a boss um, okay. who came in when we were bought. She came in to she came in to wow. to manage me um, from afar. She was in the US predominantly. And she was probably the the worst boss I've ever ever had. So I tried to work with her for about a year, and then it didn't work out. So I needed to leave. So I left with a broken heart actually, because I didn't want to leave. I, I loved Advantage, but it was time to go. So I left there and I joined um, in Pelham, and I went in as the ops director initially for the uh, what was Carlisle Managed Solutions. Which uh, their outsourcing division, a little tiny, tiny division, um, and later became uh, we we merged the two businesses. I became the MD of Carlisle. Then we merged two businesses, one in the North America and one in the UK, and became Guidant Global. Um, and I became the CEO of, of Guidant Global, which was fab because I got to learn all about the North American market. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And what was the the sort of how did you find sort of transitioning markets, the kind of new challenge? You know, how how did you find all of that? I I think because I'm nosy, I have to go. I have to keep doing things that are similar but not quite the same. So there's just this interest of it's a different sort of challenge. It's you've got to raise your game. You've got to aim for something else you've got to learn other things um, and I think that's what's always kept me motivated and, I, and I've looked back over my career and thought god I had really good bosses whenever I got itchy feet I yeah. wanted to move on and get promoted they would 
do that for me but of course yeah. it isn't them it's you you do yeah. it you know yeah. it was me that badgered and badgered and badgered to get my branch manager's job it was me then who I was a top performing branch manager and then one day when I had the divisional director with me in the branch one of my one of my branch uh, my sorry branch that I'd moved to because I had two while I was branch manager and I said to him what's the reward when you're top performing branch manager what's the reward and he said well Mel you know you earn a great bonus and everything and I was like bonus is bonus you know I want I want the next step you know, yeah. I want to be the regional manager and so you know and then God careful what you wish for I ended up with 11 branches of manpower it was very very challenging but but each time there's been moments where you know the ops director role in Pelham you know the CEO Julia at the time said to me you know it's not quite at the level that you've been at before and I was like no but it's a different opportunity it's a different you know I, I took almost like a step down to step back up again yeah. because because a career your pathway is not a straight road straight yeah. path it's got bends and kinks in in it and it, you know sometimes you have to go down or side you know in manpower I went into the training department because it was the only role you could do part-time and that yeah. was kind of a downgrade from a regional manager it was a ma you know that, that was how it appeared in the company yeah. but I was just doing what I needed to do to find my way um, so yeah I, I think it's 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 knowing not necessarily you won't always know where you're going but but you've got to be you've got to be flexible with how you get there you know I think sometimes obviously being um, an internal recruiter myself now I, I often see people are so focused on where they've got to in in their career which is great but sometimes people i personally find sometimes people are so focused on having to constantly move upwards even if a sideways move would be better in the long run and i think sometimes people are so focused on that sometimes i think they miss out on good things because you know it'd be nice if we continue to go up, up, up all the time but sometimes you know if it's a new company or um, just a slightly new challenge sometimes you do need to take that slight step um, to, to be able to work yourself up somewhere else. Um, yeah. Okay, so what was um, kind of when you, um, so at, now at um, Guided Global, were you back up to kind of five days a week? I appreciate you said you, you didn't really want yeah. to leave the place before you were doing the kind of three days, but was it a big change? Did you go straight into five days a week from, from leaving there? Or did you... I'd, I'd kind of started to transition in because because the longer because obviously the children were getting older yeah. um, and it was becoming easier so probably once they went to school both of them were in school I probably started to do more sort of four or five days a week um, mm -hmm. and and then so that that transition wasn't so bad I think the challenge for going to Guidance Global was it, it required me to commute into London right. and then later, later on it required me to commute to America so wow. that that was quite a different conversation with my family um, and, and I had a very considered conversation you know and it was never just with my husband it was with my husband and my children yeah. because you know mummy was going off for probably a week every month to the States yeah. and that was a massive impact on their, them at that time so yeah we, we before I took the CEO's role um, we, we had a very you know considered conversation and Many people have asked me over the years, how how can you know 
what, what do you think the secret of success is around you know yeah. building your career um i was very lucky i i have uh, still have a very supportive husband who has has still got a reasonably demanding job himself but was always you know he took equal it was definitely always an equal split you know no, no, i wasn't the primary carer neither yeah. was he we, we just split it 50 50 and yeah. then i have i have a fabulous mother who when the children were sick and i sometimes had to go to work my yeah. mum would always come to the house and look after them she she yeah. didn't work herself and yeah that so that was fabulous you, th there has to be a network of support you know i think it's yeah. very hard to do it on your own it's definitely something that comes a lot up a lot um you know on these podcasts and speaking to people sort of you know like yourself very successful in in your career and it does seem to be a common theme of having a really supportive family unit um i, I mean i think everyone's a super mum no matter you know no matter um what what you kind of doing career-wise but i can imagine um you know not having somebody there to be able to kind of take that share of looking after the children school drops things like that and like you said when you're away the the sick days i think that's you know uh, just makes it um doable makes it more doable mm. yeah yeah fantastic okay so where did your career take you then you know what, what was going on so yeah i stayed i stayed with impelum for um about i think it was about seven years um and then yeah just time to move on and i actually went to um where did i go next gosh uh, i i did some consultancy i decided i was going to do my own thing um and i i met some great people but i realized that i'm really no good on my own i need teams and i love people i love you know more the merry and the i miss the end client piece that's always yeah. been my favorite so um i then joined um ams and uh i was at ams for for a short while and that's nothing against ams they're an amazing company and the guy who hired me i will forever love him he's just superb um, and again, Matthew, he was able to teach me things, you know, I'd been in the outsourcing sector then for quite a while, but yes. Matthew was able to teach me things that I didn't know before, you know, yes. he, was, he was awesome. Um, but in that short space of time, you know, no matter what level you are in your career, it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to, yeah, it was, it was the wrong move for me, but it was fine, nobody got hurt, nobody died, it was fine. Um, so then I left AMS and I joined Rulian as Group MD and I was with Rulian for a couple of years um, and when the you know Covid happened, when the pandemic happened, um, it, it really didn't feel right having you know a Group CEO, a Group MD, yeah. you know there's leadership structure yeah. in place. We, I, I certainly felt we were a bit top heavy. Um, and so it was just the right opportunity to, to leave. So, so I left and um, was approached by the CEO of APSCO. And it's quite interesting, really, because I always said that I wanted to leave the industry in better shape than I found it. And I meant that in the sense of, you know, having people go into it as a career rather than stumble yeah. into it by accident like yeah. I did. And professionalising, raise standards, particularly in the outsourcing sector, because that's the bit. I'm most passionate about so Anne approached me so another new female boss this yeah. time Anne approached me and um, 
asked me if I would like um, to be the uh, managing director of a new trade body called Appsco Outsource. So we only launched in January, so we're still in our infancy, but I, I jumped at the chance. It was it was a great opportunity and, and so far so good. Fantastic. And your role now then, what what does what does that entail for you? So interesting that the people that were my competitors before are now my clients. So um, it's quite a different dynamic. So the yeah. members are the outsource providers. Um, so it's a, a membership, you know, membership that you subscribe to, you pay to be a member of. Um, and we have outsource providers and then what we call trusted partners. And the trusted partners are the service providers to the outsource members. Fantastic. So it's kind of like a, 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 an ecosystem. Um, there's some client community. We've got a client community within it as well. So yeah, it's quite it's quite a well-rounded role, and it's because it's we're a new startup. It's quite funny because you know it's literally yes, I've got Apsco Global behind me, which is a much bigger organisation. But for the purpose of outsource, you know, I'm I, I you know doing a little bit of everything, which I'm yeah. loving. It's you know yeah. really good, really good fun. Um, my admin skills have never been so good. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. As I said, so far, so good. Fantastic. And I mean, it sounds like you've had, um, you know, sometimes on this podcast, people have, um, quite frankly, some horror stories about being in, you know, male-dominated environment, having no chance to to kind of do anything. Um, it sounds like you've had, you know, I've just said some really strong kind of female leaders throughout, and it, also it sounds like some, you know male leaders that have been real kind of advocates for yourself and and for for women i know you mentioned before that um you know seeing the the, the things women can do for a business um do you think your career would have gone the same way if you hadn't have started off with those sort of um you know female leaders in the pipeline and, and kind of advocates in that way do you think you would have paved you know you would have kind of gone for it even if you didn't see see the females kind of at the top or I think I think it's much harder to do something that you can't already see. Um, I've always believed if you can see it, you can be it. Yeah. And so it's very you, you need positive role models. But I, I think, Brogan, I'm the, I'm the sort of person that even if I couldn't see it, I'd want to be it. You know, yeah. I, I would just yeah. go, right, I'm going to be the trailblazer. I'll be the first. Um, and, you know, when I look back over my career and uh, I know that there's 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 a whole host of people, male and female, that I've brought through with me. And I've, you know, I always say to female leaders, it's even more important as someone's climbing up the ladder behind you, you literally put your hand down and you pull them up, pull them yeah. up with you. That's so important. Um, and I can genuinely say, I know I've done that. And, and people still, you know, whether that's messaging me on LinkedIn or on Instagram or whatever, yeah. they tell me, you know, here I am, this is what I'm doing now, you did this for me, I still mentor a handful of people that I've worked with in the past, um, because as I said, I'm just really nosy about people, yeah. I just want to, yeah, I'm nosy and curious about what they're doing, but also I want to help them. Fantastic. There's actually the bad name that recruitment has, or has had, yeah. when you think about it, when you just strip all, all the marketing blurb and everything away what do we fundamentally do we help people yeah that's what absolutely. we do absolutely um i had a, a a lady on the podcast um called lauren 
Bland. Um, she's a principal recruitment consultant um, at a company in Nottingham. And I love her story because um, she talks about how I think she got approached to be in recruitment and she said, absolutely not. I'm not a salesperson. It's not for me. I, the thought of selling, absolutely not. Um, and she now absolutely loves it. And she says it's really because she's become a, you know, a real consultant. She's very consultative. It's not a kind of hard sell way. Um, and that brings me back to something that you you mentioned sort of right at the beginning. I think you said um, you might not have kind of enjoyed it or stuck it out if it was the, the kind of really hard sell, hard sell, hundreds of calls a day, loads of dial-outs, etc. I think the the balance between kind of recruitment companies nowadays, there are still, uh, you know, there are the extremes. There's some that are very, very laid back and there's still that kind of boiler room culture and, and the everything in between, really. Um, do you think, I mean, would you advise people who are in the industry? Because I know, unfortunately, not not everybody starts a career in recruitment in a company that's right for them, I, I personally think. Um, you know, would you advise people to kind of give it another go if they've been in a company that that they perhaps not enjoyed? Do you think people can have a, you know, enjoy it in different companies? Do you think it's about the kind of environment and what suits yeah. yourself? Or? It's like, it's like anything. It's like a, a relationship that, you know, you called it out, the culture. So yeah. culture... Culture, as they say, strategy for breakfast, because, you know, a company can set out with the best strategy in the world. If the culture's yeah. crap, then it will never happen. Yeah. And I just think for individuals that go in and go, oh, this culture is horrible. That, that could happen anywhere in any yeah. service industry, in yeah. any sector. Um, so it, the relationship's a two way thing. You know, you wouldn't stay in a relationship with a with a person if you yeah. weren't content and happy. So why would you do that with your your job so uh, i would say definitely go elsewhere it, it's actually how you know the outsource providers have managed to take a lot of people that used to be in the traditional recruitment sector yeah. into outsourcing because of course in outsourcing there's no none of the sales because yeah. you're potentially you're a consultant on a program where the client's already got you've got the business you just have to fulfill it so you still get the candidate piece and you still get the um client piece but without the sales so that's how and then and later on that's how outsource providers lose their staff to the end user client because yeah. the end user client yeah. ends up building their own teams and going rather than do that for them would you rather yeah. do it here for, for us directly yeah. um so it's, it's it's a little bit of a cycle but but there's there's something to fit everybody so i i do know companies where that whole boiler room and ring a bell and stand on the chair yeah. when they make placements you know we're talking you know, behaviours that started 30 years ago still going on today. I do, I am aware of that. But there, you know, there's, there's how many at the last count? 30,000 recruitment companies in the UK? There, there's definitely one for somebody. There's, you know. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's such a shame when people have a bad, a bad experience in their first kind of recruitment company and it deters them from, you know, wanting to try another. Um, I, I think it's great to get out there that not all recruitment companies are the same. Um, and yeah, like you said, there's, there's definitely going to be one out there that, that kind of suits suits a certain individual. Yes. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Um, so in regards to your sort of career, um, have you kind of faced any big challenges along the way? I mean, what are the, the kind of things that you would say have been the, the kind of hardest things to either overcome or, or to kind of push past? 
Um, I think, I, I don't think there's, there's, there's not been anything necessarily where I could go, that, that was, you know, it was a huge, huge challenge that, you know, I, I think you're always going to have, because you're, you're in a people-orientated business, there's nothing so reliable, is there? As, yeah. you know, people are unreliable, they let you down, they, um, I've been very lucky that, that you know, I, I've had to fire very few people. Um, it's not something I enjoy doing, um, but, you know, when it happens, it's really difficult and, you know, you know, it's just nasty, the whole experience, yeah. you know, if somebody's done something particularly, you know, whether it be, you know, whether they've committed fraud or they've, you know, stolen something, you know, it's, or, you know, I've had a situation where I myself, um, you know, heard somebody being racially uh, abused. So I had to deal with that. Um, yeah. And, you know, th those things, are, I, I would say there's lots of things that with people yeah. will always, yeah. when you're managing, you know, at one point, it, not not directly, but indirectly, I had 250 people in the team. Yeah. So you're always going to have a people problem or issue yeah. at some point. Um, yeah. And sometimes they're pretty big and chunky. And sometimes, you know, they're, they're more straightforward. So I think I've had loads of that sort of thing happen. Yeah. Um, and then the, the things that stand out will be when I lose an account, if I lose a client, when I've lost in the in the years, I've lost a couple of clients. Um, one just purely, we just had the client for so, so long, I think it was 12 years, that they were always going to go somewhere else eventually. And, and then the other one was, you know, it was like a relationship. Our cultural differences were just this yeah. all the time. And it was the right move. But when, when you, you lose something, you, you take it kind of personally, you can't help yourself. It's really, really hard. And you're the one that's got to bring everyone up with you. You know, yeah. it's all good. And yeah, there's, I think that front, you know, that mask, as I always used to say to my directors, you, you, you know, there's, there's one thing you have to be authentic, you yeah. know, always. However, there's a line of being authentic or, or not wearing your mask because sometimes pe people really don't, I don't care what anyone says, people really don't want their MD in floods of tears or yeah. telling them yeah. that, you know, the yeah. world's just about to explode. <laughs> they, they, they just don't. They look no. to their MD as the leader. Show us yeah. the way. Show us that it's going to get better and it's all good out there. Um, and that doesn't mean you're not being truthful. It just means that, you know, sometimes we are paid to polish things better and make it look better than it actually is. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you know, you, you have to be the motivator. Like you said, you have to be the leader. And if you're not leading people in the right direction and you're putting a down on it from the start, then everyone's just going to follow, aren't they? So, um, no, I couldn't agree more. Okay. Um, so, I mean... I mean, your journey is um, great. It's great to hear. And I love I love the podcast where it's not, um, you know, as I said, there's so many people that have had so many struggles and sometimes come on here and talk about how hard it's been in a like male-dominated environment. I love the stories as well where, you know, you have had like the, the female leaders ahead of you and uh, companies where, you know, there, there are those paths. So it's so great to hear. Um, so, I mean, the, my aim for this podcast is always to give, um, you know, kind of budding female recruiters um, inspiration and kind of top tips to take on their kind of career journeys. So if you have to give any kind of top tips to, to females within the recruitment industry wanting to become successful, what, what top tips would you give? Um, 
I, I think seek out a mentor, definitely. Yeah. I've had I've had a mentor in my career since Manpower. Um, and I actually ended up having the same mentor right the way through, probably until I left in Pelham. And he's still a, a, a really good friend of mine and he's still a mentor in some ways. But then there's other people that have influenced me. So I think having it's, it's like, you know, having a career with with children you've yeah. got to have a support network it doesn't have to be your parents or your yeah. husband yeah. or wife or whatever it could be friends but it's yeah. support in the same way when you're looking at your career it's like who who can help me you know how yeah. can I get better yeah. um and so yeah a, a mentor um I think is 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 one one thing and, and that that's been invaluable to me and how would you advise people seek these out? Because I know, um, I know we're, for example, we're part of um, women in recruitment, and I know they do their sort of mentorship. Yes. Team, which is fantastic. Yeah. And you know, everybody here that you know, every female here has access to that, which I, I just think is great. But for for people in companies that don't have that access, and I'm not saying you know your, your mentor has not got to be a female. Um, it's, I'm assuming no. anyone. You know, what advice would you give to people for actually seeking those out? And do you mean? an actual mentor that's on a mentor scheme with you do you just mean somebody that you know will kind of advocate for you and, and guide you right I think I think it could be I think it could be either so the, the point with a mentor or a coach is that most of the time particularly around when somebody's coaching you you are making your own decisions and choices you're, you're just being enabled to do that you're just giving yourself headroom and space to talk about it so I, I would always have an hour session every month with with a mentor or a coach, but but just so that you take that time out to do it. And that can be um, so the, the person, my first ever proper mentor coach was somebody I met in Manpower who I massively admired him. I just thought, God, he's he's re he talks so much sense. Yeah. I want a piece yeah. of him. So I approached Alistair and I asked him and he was really flattered and said, I would love to help you, Mel. And yeah, as I said, we've been great mates ever since. So it's, it's coming up to 20 odd years. I think we've been friends. But firstly, he was my mentor. And then other people, there's, there's official schemes like the one you mentioned that APSCO are doing this full blown scheme where we've got uh, three women in recruitment. Um, I particularly chose a guy to mentor me I, I, and that wasn't I didn't go oh I want a man it was more that there was just that person that I spotted who I really admired yeah. Um, yeah. and I think it's really important you've got to have a good relationship with them you've got yeah. to trust them yeah. and talk to them so seek them out in your own company um, it might even be your director or you know it could be your MD um, but but it, it could be um, uh, somebody you meet in another company again who you think I, I really like what they're they could be in a totally different sector yeah. you know um, I, I, I think there's some phenomenal people out there you've just got to go, go find them and approach them and most of the time people are really flattered when you ask them yeah yeah I can imagine fantastic great stuff um, fantastic 
Well, listen, it's been so lovely speaking with you. Um, I love love the tip on uh, mentor. As I said, it's something that we've tried to advocate for our, our females coming in through the, the, the women in recruitment membership that we have. So um, thanks so much for, for being on the podcast. It's been lovely to lovely to hear your journey. Um, and for the listeners, please like and subscribe and share the episode with anyone you think will um, benefit from listening to, to Mel's story. And I'll be back on the next episode of Who Runs the Rec World. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.